Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a daily college basketball show brought to you every weekday in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Sunday, January 14th, 4, 18 p.m. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, an overtime thriller in the SEC, Houston's two-game skid and Arizona's second Pac-12 loss. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. In one of the better games of the year in the SEC, Texas A&M 97, Kentucky 92, number six, Kentucky 92 in overtime, Josh. One of the best games of the year and uh, certainly plenty to talk about. Yeah, absolutely fantastic game. Super, super, super entertaining. There was that stretch where Wade Taylor and Rob Dillingham were just having a three-point shootout. It was fantastic. They just kept matching each other. You thought at points Kentucky was going to pull it out. You thought Texas A&M was going to pull it out. It's fitting the game goes to overtime. And this is a big, big win for a Texas A&M team that was obviously 0-2 in SEC play. Okay, they beat Iowa State. That's a nice win, but that's not exactly, at least at this point, something you're building a resume around. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this Texas A&M team was the look at all the pieces they're bringing back. You've got probably the best player in the conference in Wade Taylor. The if you're going to vote for the continuity, this is the team to pick to win the SEC. And it it's been up and down and not great so far, but boy, did they play well in this one. Yeah, they kind of got out of this rut that they were in offensively. After the first two games in SEC play, they only made eight threes between the first two SEC games. They scored 53 and 55 points. And I know that you get an extra five minutes of regulation, but they only scored eight points in in the extra five minutes. So they go 12 of 32 from the three-point line. They didn't even shoot you know, from the stripe that well at all, 19 of 30, but get out of this rut that they were in offensively. And it was a good time to do it because they were you know falling behind the eight ball quickly in terms of trying to put together a a record that would have a chance of of winning the SEC in the regular season and, and Taylor was only 7 to 4 24 from the field but he hit his free throws and he was 6 to 19 or 6 to 13 excuse me from 3 yeah and he made the big plays when they needed to and then Tyrese Radford was the other guy the two of them combined for 59 and Kentucky's guards were really good too but Texas A&M probably had the best two players on the floor. And when you have Aaron Bradshaw in foul trouble, you don't get that much from your bigs. You give up 20 offensive, 25 offensive rebounds. I'm not worried about Kentucky coming out of this and Reed Shepard hits the free throws to send it to overtime. There was the controversial offensive foul that I don't have as much of an issue with as most people seem to. But ultimately, this was just a... This is the kind of game that happens between two good teams in the SEC. To me, this is much more about Texas A&M needing this win than anything to be worried about or this being an issue for Kentucky. Because if you're Texas A&M and you get into this game, you play that well, you get it to overtime, and you fall to 0-3 in SEC, that's just incredibly deflating. Clearly, Texas A&M needed this one more, and they ended up getting it. I mean, we were... 
we were close to like, is Texas A&M, we were probably already there. Is Texas A&M going to make the tournament? Because they need, they needed to do, they still have work to do, but the best win at this point in the season was Iowa state. Um, they beat Ohio state and SMU early in the season, but ev- pretty much every chance they got against a semi-decent team, they lost Florida Atlantic. They lost to Virginia in one of the uglier games of the entire season. They lost to Memphis. They lost to Houston. And then of course the two game losing streak to start SEC play, getting one of these wins was important. Like you said, and, and they were able to get it done. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they reel off eight of 10, seven of 10, four or five, something like that coming off of this because the talent hasn't disappeared. This is still a really good basketball team. They just, yeah, the offense wasn't flowing. They just kind of hadn't clicked into gear yet. And one game doesn't mean that they figured it all out, but this is a really good confidence booster. And you know what this team is capable of. I would not be surprised if they start looking more like the team we expected them to be the rest of SEC. I'm definitely worried about their, it's, it's weird. They're, their stat profile doesn't make any sense. They're 22nd in offense, but 329th in effective field goal percentage, 350th in three-point field goal percentage, 242nd two-point field goal percentage, um, and they get blocked about as many times per game per you know a, in terms of block rate by the other team as anybody in the country. But they're first in offensive rebounding percentage. So that's that's basically the only thing that you could possibly point to because they're also outside the top 200 in free throw percentage. So they, you know, that's probably you'd like for it to get a little bit, you know, you'd like for it to get better than that. They're 13th and they're 13th in the sec in offense. So that continues to, that's going to need to continue to improve if, um, if they are going to put together a string of wins. Yeah. The good news is there is, It's not catastrophic. They're very much still in the conversation, probably on the right side of the bubble right now, which doesn't mean all that much, but you're not completely digging yourself into this massive hole. And there's plenty of room for improvement and plenty of things that can get better if Wade Taylor can get some help. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta feel much better coming out of this game that this is one of the most important wins in the, in the entire country so far, I would argue just because of what it could mean for their season. TCU 68, Houston 67, the Cougars uh, being welcomed very quickly to the Big 12. We talked about the possibility of, okay, just how good is Houston? They haven't really played anybody. And they go in on back-to-back away. It was just a little bit mean to start off the brand-new Big 12 team with back-to-back road games against top 25 Kempom teams. But that's what it was, and that's the epitome of what it means to play in the Big 12. You lose to Iowa State 57-53 and back that up with another very, very close loss on the road, 68-67 to TCU. And now there are, you know, questions about Houston and there are also questions about, okay, how how deep can you fall before you, uh, you've taken yourself out of the Big 12 regular season race? I want to start on the TCU side of this really quickly. I, I found it interesting how down people seem to be on TCU at the beginning of this season. I understand they lost quite a bit from last year, specifically Mike Miles. They did bring in talent to replace those guards, though, in the Jimmy Nelson Juniors of the world, the Avery Andersons of the world. 
they still have an incredibly deep, talented backcourt. That was a impressive performance at Fog Allen that many people will feel probably should have been a win. If they get that win, they are 3-0 and in Big 12 play. Their only other two losses are to Nevada and Clemson. Not bad at all. Yeah, but they, they have, haven't played anybody else otherwise. They right, played. They right. beat. They've until until Wednesday of last week. They had lost to every competent basketball team they played. Right. So it was a question of okay, they haven't exactly proven similar to Houston, right? You're going to get this opportunity. They haven't exactly proven it yet. Now they are proving it. They've proved it three games in a row. This is, I think they're maybe not quite as good as last year. They haven't been as impressive. But Jamie Dixon can coach. This is a really good basketball team. I just wanted to start with that part of it before we talk about Houston. Sure. But I wasn't sure that it was a really good basketball team until a week ago. Correct. Which is why anybody who was down on TCU at the beginning of the season had zero reason to not be down on them until a week ago. Because yeah, they my, looked like they they didn't look like the better team against anybody that they played yeah. until a week ago. I was more talking just before the season started in terms of giving them the benefit of the doubt that they still could figure it out and still be really good. They yeah, been they haven't been they didn't have many opportunities and the ones they had they didn't take advantage of. So sure, that part's valid that if you just look at it from the resume this season, sure there are plenty of question marks. I just feel like we gotta give Jamie Dixon some some credit for what he's done in the teams he produces and the guys that they did have coming back from last season too. I think you're misremembering how good TCU was last year. TCU was 21 and 13 and nine and nine in the conference. It's not like, it's not like them. I mean, if you ask somebody what TCU was going to do in the big 12, sure. But if, like, if you asked anybody what TCU was going to do in conference this year, they wouldn't have told you much worse than what they did last year. If you take conference specifically, that's fair. Because that was also a team that people were talking about preseason. I was on board with this. Maybe win the Big 12. That sure. was probably a little extreme. But it just seems like we've kind of flipped the narrative on TCU, and it's all balancing out to something very, very similar. That's probably fair. That's probably fair. Um, it's also not, you know, I also can I'm very well aware that your conference Big 12 record is not something that should be looked at in terms of like it can be a oh that team is elite they went 14 and 4 on the Big 12 but it doesn't need to be you know a, a 9 and 9 team in the Big 12 is usually a much better team than a 9 and 9 team anywhere Correct. else in Correct. the country absolutely um are you worried about Houston nope for that very reason the yeah, they had two Big 12 road games in a, in a row and it was not the bottom of the conference either Mm -hmm. they came very close to winning this one and they didn't. It happened. I don't know what was going on with that last possession. Should probably get the ball in Jamal Shedd's hands. That seems like a good idea. The concerning part, and to me, the, the only takeaway here from this two-game losing streak, really, other than Houston isn't clearly better than every other team in the country, which nobody thought anyway. LJ Carr has 10 points on four of 23 shooting in these last two games. That has to, that is what makes this difference. And that is what allows Houston to win this conference is that they have the replacement for Marcus Sasser, the all American caliber guard that can go carry an offense to complement their defense so that they can get to 70 points, 65 points, whatever it might be that they need. 
Because if you don't get to 65, 70 points, you're going to lose to the Iowa States of the world in Ames. And TCU is going to get to probably at least 65 points. You're giving your, you are vulnerable every night. That's really what I was trying to get at. If you have, if you don't have somebody capable of carrying the offense and that was LJ Cryer. That's why they looked so good. And they did beat the decent teams that they had played. Obviously schedule wasn't great, but you're not surviving and, and winning 15 big 12 games with LJ Cryer hitting one of every five to six shots or four to yeah, five to six shots. He's taking. Yeah. It's just not a team that it's, it's a team built on, on quality and efficiency of the f- shots that they do get there you're just not going to get that many like you just the way that houston plays you're just not like you can't kind of stumble your way to seven of 23 on most nights when you play for houston because if you're struggling it's not like you can just get up enough shots to to put a really big imprint on a game because they just the way that they play the way that they slow the game down is it highlights those struggles and to your point um makes it easier for teams to stick around. And they don't have two or three established offensive weapons. They have plenty of guys that can go score 15 or 20 in a given game. But it's built around the idea that you have the one guy who's always going to give you 15 to 20 so that between the two guys, you have 30, 35, 40, and all of a sudden you're in business because you're probably not going to give up all that many more than that. And you can easily make up those other points because it's a very good basketball team. When you don't have Marcus Sasser or you don't have LJ Cryer scoring, all of a sudden that second piece is now your main scorer and you're in trouble. That was the one thing I came out of this worried about. I'm not worried about Houston. People need to respect the Big 12. This is what happens. I mean, Kansas just lost to the worst team in the conference, for crying out loud. This is what makes it so good. It's why it's the best conference in the country. I, I expect Houston to be fine. Maybe they're not the second or third best team in the country. Maybe they're the sixth, seventh best team in the country. Two losses in the Big 12 is not that big of a deal. Washington State, 73. Arizona, 70. Tommy Lloyd's Wildcats now have two Pac-12 losses. One to Washington State. One to Stanford. 73-70. Not a great look. They've now lost four of their last eight after starting undefeated. Um, it's it's not hasn't been the smoothest of sailing the last month or so for the Wildcats, and and that continues over the weekend. Can I read you this quote from Tommy Lloyd I found in the AP recap of the game? Sure. He called his team quote. Sorry, he called his team and quote average basketball team that has these really high moments and then they relax. Interesting. I found that fascinating. Now, clearly, there's an attention to detail and a consistency issue because they can beat anybody in the country and then they're losing to not the other good teams in the Pac-12, but random Pac-12 teams, with all due mm-hmm. respect to Stanford and Washington State. While also, while also, like, in sandwiched in between, they beat the absolute snot out of two top 40 Kempom right. teams. Exactly, right. Yes, like the one. absolute snot. 9750 9273. Like the snot. Yeah. And even in this game, I mean, Keisha Johnson banks in a three to make it a one point game with 16 seconds left to then give you a chance to have Caleb Wolf take a shot to get to overtime. So 
it was barely a one possession game. Right. They had to kind of scramble to even stay in the game in the last 15 seconds. But the big shout out to Isaac Jones, 24 and 13. Very, very good performance from him. The, this doesn't need to be complicated, though. Like, and I've said this before, but I'm bringing it up again. We can talk about the defense. You can talk about the inconsistency. Maybe they're just not a top five team in the country either. And they started so well that everybody, including me, overreacted. But also they looked that good. Their schedule was that good. So I feel like everybody was justified in that. Kylan Boswell did not make a shot, grab a rebound, or have an assist in this game. That is all you need to know. How in the world does that happen? Not, I'm really not sure. It's impressive. It really is. I, every game, I just become, and you've seen the highlights of the passes in those two games where they destroyed the good Pac-12 teams. Every game, I just become more and more convinced he is that important to this team. Because Caleb Love is really good in this game. Didn't matter. They still lost to Washington State. Kyle Boswell is the guy that makes this entire thing go. He's what made them look so good at the beginning of the season. And he completely disappears sometimes. And you go check the win and loss column. And most of the time, those are L's. I, I don't know how in the world this happened. That was stunning. Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting hearing Tommy Lloyd describe it that way is pretty like you look at their performances the last the last month basically and that kind of that mirrors it. Like they don't they, they they've those they they've only won two straight games once since the beginning of December when they beat Colgate and Wisconsin in consecutive games and they go, you know, they keep beating quality teams. I mean, like they beat, uh, you know, the sixth team at Kempom, the 36th team at Kempom, the 21st team at Kempom and sandwiched in between is just kind of like, what in the world happened there? And it's, it's not really a, like apart from Kylan Boswell, like, and, and, while I think that Kylan Boswell is very, very important, that shouldn't be like when you're Arizona, like if you're Detroit Mercy and and Antoine Davis right. has a bad game, then you're gonna lose. But if you're Arizona and you're and Kylan Boswell doesn't have a good game, that shouldn't be the it shouldn't be this black and white right now about does this guy have a good game or not? And you're gonna lose and and not to the good teams, to like any team. Any team right. period, it's it, like that needs to not be the way that it, that the way that it's going to be if Arizona is going to do anything of circumstance this year. That's what I was so I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up if you didn't. That's what's so staggering to me about this quote. It's it's not that I disagree with what Tommy Lloyd is saying, except for the part where he called his team an average basketball team. They have what four other all Pac-12 caliber players right. not named Kylan Boswell? At least three? That entire starting lineup is guys who could potentially be all Pac-12 guys. Yeah. There is absolutely no... Right, there is way too much talent for it to be this reliant on Kylan Boswell, who, by the way, wasn't supposed to be... He was the, oh, this guy's really talented. He had to sit behind guys last year. Let's eat. He's going to probably be a breakout player. He's done way more than that. He's one of the best players in the country. I've firmly believe but then he does this disappearing thing but you're absolutely right it shouldn't matter the way it does and so that's where i the framing is an average basketball team thing was interesting to me because the the other part of it is pretty self-explanatory 
Yeah, they yeah. play great sometimes. They play, And sometimes they just don't show up. I don't know if this was Tommy Lloyd just trying to kind of light a fire under his team by saying you're not as good as you think, which is pro- probably that's what it was. But, yeah, this is bizarre. Anything else in this game? Anything from the weekend? We did have a lot of other notable top 10, top 15 results, both on the men's and women's side. We will get to those when we talk about AP polls on Monday, where our policy that we kind of clarified this weekend, just to throw it out there publicly, we're trying to go for the most interesting developments. And so Kansas winning at home against Oklahoma isn't necessarily interesting, for example. So that's why we focused on these games with kind of the bigger storylines, more interesting takeaways, and we will cover everything else with the eight peoples. Beautiful. That's going to do it for this edition of the under eight podcast Four thirty nine on a Sunday afternoon. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to your shows, follow the under eight pod on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, and we will see you tomorrow.